Uh, I always wonder what that first Sunday after Christmas is going to be like. And I ran into some friends uh, over the last couple of days who said, hey, my church isn't having services. Are you guys? And we say, yeah, come on over. And so I invited, you know, all of the megachurch down the road to come here. And I knew they wouldn't all come, uh, but I'm glad you guys are here. How many of you are here for Christmas Eve service? Yeah, good. We had a great Christmas Eve service, great crowd. It was one of our biggest crowds ever, actually, here at Carmel. We had uh, almost 400 people here over our two services. It's probably our second or third biggest crowd we've ever had. Uh, the kids did a great job. Um, I really like my favorite part of the whole service was my daughter, Audrey, reading the Christmas story. It was so good to hear. And even in the second service, she had some microphone troubles, and she just kept her composure. It just makes me, gives me great hope that someday she's going to be preaching the Word of God to people, too. So I'm hopeful for that. Uh, how many of you have already taken down your Christmas tree? Anybody in the room? No? One? One person? <laughs> uh, okay. Sorry about that, Grinch. Um, so in, in, in some people's homes, it looks like Christmas never happened already. Uh, how many of you uh, have started to make New Year's resolutions? Anybody making New Year's resolutions yet? No? All right, good. Some people have already broken their New Year's resolutions by now, so... Uh, that's good. We know that a big part of New Year is making New Year's resolutions. And I was reading the other day that about half of people in the United States, about 50% of people, get on board with a couple of resolutions every year. And you guys can probably guess uh, what the top resolutions are. Anybody have a guess as to what they are? Lose weight. Always number one. Lose weight. Everybody wants to lose weight. Uh, getting organized is number two. Uh, spending less, saving more. So there's some financial. Uh, number three, enjoy life to the fullest. Now, I don't know how that's a resolution. You can't really measure it, uh, but that's number four. And then number five is staying fit and healthy. So even people who don't need to lose weight want to stay fit and healthy. That's number five. No surprise, really, right? I think those are for 2015. They'll probably be the same for 2016. But personally, I've always wondered whether New Year's resolutions really work. Are, are they effective or not? Well, Dr. John Norcross is a clinical psychologist uh, from the University of Scranton in Pennsylvania. He's considered to be the leading researcher in New Year's behavioral change. Can you believe that there is a leading researcher in New Year's behavioral change? But that's what uh, Dr. Norcross is. He's conducted a study. He tracked 400 people over the course of about two years. And the participants, uh, he kind of divided them into two groups. Group one was people who were contemplating change. Like they wanted to make a change in their life, but they weren't ready to tie that to something like a New Year's resolution. Group two was people who uh, actually made New Year's resolutions at the beginning of the year. Now, here's what Dr. Norcross discovered. He tracked the people in group one who were contemplating changes at New Year's, but waited until a later date to make that change. What he found was that two weeks after they made the change, uh, 51% had stuck with it. Two weeks, that's, that's pretty good. But after six months, only 4% of those people who were contemplating change didn't do it at the new year, but implemented the change sometime during the year. 4% after six months had stuck with their change. Not very good. Now, here's where this gets interesting. When he tracked group two, the New Year's resolution group, at two weeks, 71% had stuck with their resolutions. So it's higher than the other group. At six months, 46%. 46% of the New Year's resolution group had stuck with their resolutions uh, by June. Can you believe that? That seems unbelievable to me, but it's something like 10 times, 46% versus 4% of the other group. What he found was that those who chose New Year as the time to implement changes in their lives were 10 times more successful than those uh, at the six-month mark than those who just decided at some point, I'm going to make a change. Now, let's face it. The New Year is a great time to make a fresh start. 
uh, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm getting at with all this. While some of us are resistant to the idea to making New Year's resolutions because, hey, we know we're just going to break them anyway, there's something about the psychology of making a change when that calendar turns. And research indicates it may be one of the best times to have new goals or a fresh start. And let's face it, some of us could use a fresh start, couldn't we? I mean, for many of us, I think 2015 probably wasn't the year that you imagined it to be. And wouldn't you like to just put that behind you and look ahead to a new 2016? And I'm not really talking about traditional resolutions that have to do with things like finances or exercise, while those are important. But even more important than that, I'm talking about a fresh start when it comes to our relationship with God. I'm talking about letting the start of a new year mark the point where we give God even more room to transform our lives. So here's what I want you to be thinking about today. Christmas ushered in a new day for us. That's what we've been talking about in this series called The Thrill of Hope. We've learned that on that holy night, the night of Christmas, that God came near and changed the course of everything. And so today, as we conclude this series, I want to talk about how on this holy night, God ushered in a new day for us. In the song, it says, a new and glorious morn. And the good news for us is that Christmas isn't just something that happened, but it still happens which means that today or at the start of a new year, we uh, can encounter a Savior who was born and then we can let him transform our tomorrow. This Christmas, this new year means that with Christ, we can have a fresh start. We can have a fresh start in our relationship with God. We can have a fresh start in our relationship with others, a fresh start in every area, really, of our lives. And, And just in case you wonder whether it's really possible that you could have a fresh start in your life, Uh, I want to spend some time today talking about one man uh, from the Bible who was probably the last person that anyone imagined would change. If transformation was possible for the Apostle Paul, well, then I'm going to tell you it's possible for you and it's possible for me. Now, if you've spent any time around Genesis, if you read your Bible, you've been around any church for that matter, you probably know about Paul. Paul uh, planted dozens of churches, helped thousands of people find their way back to God. He wrote many of the books in the New Testament in our Bibles. Uh, But before all that, Paul's life was on a very different path. In fact, here's how he described himself in in Galatians uh, 1.13. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. See, Paul had the benefit of growing up in a Roman province, so he was a Roman citizen. But he also had uh, Jewish roots, and his Hebrew name was actually Saul. And so as we talk about Saul and Paul, and you'll see it in the Bible, and we'll talk about it today, Saul and Paul, actually the same person like Sean Combs, Puff Daddy, Puffy, P. Diddy, Diddy, all the same person, right? Just different names. Saul, Paul, same thing. As a young guy, Saul would have gone to Jerusalem for his formal education. It was uh, there that he studied under one of the most uh, prominent rabbinical schools of the day, Acts uh, 22.3 says that he was trained by one of the best rabbi teachers and that he eventually became a Pharisee, which were the religious leaders in the Jewish faith. All this training and experience led him to believe that the idea of a Messiah, the Messiah, that God, the promised one of God being crucified was impossible. And it was highly offensive to the Pharisees. And, and so maybe you know people like that. Maybe that even describes where you were or maybe where some of you are today, that you, you can't believe that God is so cruel to allow someone, like his own son, to be killed for something that he didn't do. Well, Saul, that was Saul. Saul was right there with you. 
And after Jesus' death and resurrection, when the Christian church, uh, this group was beginning to form, Saul was determined to stop it. Now, it wasn't really called the church at the time. It wasn't even really called, they weren't even really called Christians. Uh, the people inside that group, uh, they called themselves the way. And it was probably because Jesus was so adamant when he talked to them, uh, when he was uh, walking the earth, that he would say, I am the way and the truth and the life. And so that, that just stuck, that they became known as the way. Well, Saul traveled the region, arrested anyone who followed uh, the way. And we know that he stood by and approved as many followers of Jesus were murdered. Acts tells us that. Now, I just want to stop there for a second and put yourself in Paul's shoes. If that was your past... How do you think you'd feel about that? Like if you used to persecute these people and by some miracle of God you became one of them, how much guilt would you have about your past? You know, how much shame would be wrapped up in that? Can you imagine the regret, the, the failure that would every day threaten to beat you down? Yet when Paul looked back on his past, here's what he was able to say, Philippians 3. He said, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, if you're on your Bible app right now, what I want you to do is is highlight that where he says, forgetting what is behind and straining forward with what is ahead. If, If you have your Bible with you and you like to write in your Bible, go ahead and underline that. Forgetting what is behind. That's a pretty bold statement for somebody with Paul's past. But here's something that Paul understood that we need to embrace as well. Living in the light of a new and glorious morn of Christmas means that we get to leave things behind. We get to leave things like failures behind, like regrets from our past, like wounds that we received. We get to leave behind a relationship that we lost or a sin that we used to commit or a habit that we had. Any of you had any of those things in 2015 that you'd like to leave behind? And think about it. As you look back on this last season of your life, there's probably some things we need to leave behind. Some things we need to forget what is behind. Some things we need to let go of. Maybe they happen this year. Maybe it's been years and years and you're still holding on to those things. You know, um, when a couple comes to me to do their wedding, one of the first things that we always discuss is their living situation. And if a couple is living together, I will counsel them to move out before the wedding. And in fact, I'll insist that I won't do your wedding unless you make a change with your living arrangements. And occasionally, not very often, but occasionally I'll get some pushback. Well, why does it matter? We're already doing this now. Um, You know, it's a great financial situation or whatever. Why why does it even matter if we've already done that? Uh, I always say, you know, if if you are coming to a pastor, to a church to be married, it tells me that you want God's best on your marriage. And if you, you have a choice every day, you don't have a choice of what you did yesterday, right? You can't choose what I did last week, or I can't choose what I did last month, but you can choose today what you'll do tomorrow. And I always tell them, you can choose today to have a different tomorrow than you had yesterday. So what do you think Paul would say about that? I think he'd tell us now is the perfect time to forget what is behind and strain toward what is ahead. It's almost as if I can hear the Lord say, Paul, let's move forward. All right, let's move forward toward the goal, a new beginning, a fresh start, a new and glorious morn. Because there's something we can't do. 
We can't change the past. And as a pastor, so much of the guilt and shame and heartache I see comes from people who desperately wish they had a different past. And they're doing everything in their power to try to change that. They're wishing, hoping that they can change what they, what they used to be. And so when Paul says forgetting what is behind, what he's really saying is that he's got a lot in his past that he can't change. But he can move forward. And that's why the Apostle Paul leaned on this new and glorious morn. It's why you and I can celebrate a new and glorious morn with Jesus. It made all the difference with Paul. And there's no reason it can't make all the difference in your life too. So what enabled him to step into a new day? So if you've got your Bibles open to Acts 9, I want you to see the most important event in Paul's life. We might call it Paul's New Year's resolution, right? Paul's New Year's Day. And so just so you understand what has happened here, this is Paul, this is Saul, pre-Jesus. This is bad guy Paul. He's on his way to Damascus to arrest some Christians. Luke tells us that he is breathing out murderous threats against followers of Christ. He's out for blood, but then something unexpected happens in uh, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now, I just got to say, I would guess that Paul wouldn't say that he was persecuting Jesus, that he was persecuting those people, right? But this is what he heard from Jesus. Jesus said, you persecute my people, you're persecuting me. And this is what, can you imagine, like something like this happens to you, this, this flash of light, a voice calling out your name, you don't really know who it is. Now, now, maybe God hasn't approached you in such a dramatic way. But I know some people have had kind of a road to Damascus moment in their relationship with God, a, a Steven Spielberg-produced conversion to Christ. But, but he does try to get our attention in other ways like through a friend who expresses concern, uh, through a family member who challenges you to change something in your life, through a crisis at some point in your life, through a, through a message at church that challenges your growth. I believe God works in all sorts of environments and situations. He's constantly inviting and challenging, calling out to us. Man, I just, a uh, real um, transparent moment. We were sitting over here uh, singing this song and uh, in, in Revelation song, uh, there's, a, there's a line that says, you're, you're my everything, or something like that. And uh, I, as I was, I was praying, as Cameron was singing that, as we were singing that, and I just heard God say, well, you haven't really talked to me much the last couple of days. I'm like, oh, thanks for that challenge, Lord. Thanks for that. I haven't. And God can work in all kinds of situations. And when he calls on you, he's, he never just calls you away from something. He always calls you to something. That's what Paul is saying. He's forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is forward. So while it can be scary, God's not just calling you away from your past. He's calling you to a new future. So let me just stop right there and ask, what's God calling you to do today? To, to start a new relationship or end, a new, end an old one? To, uh, to become the husband or wife or mother or father that you know that you can be? Maybe it's to open up your Bible and start growing spiritually and becoming a self-feeder, learning how to feed yourself spiritually. Maybe it's to get connected at church, to, to join a ministry team, to sign up for a connection group. We'll, we'll have opportunities to do that in a few weeks. Well, how did Saul slash Paul enter his new day? Well, first he simply says yes. He, he says yes to a new future. He says yes to a new day. 
He says yes to a new way. Paul was a strong man. He could have encountered God and run the other way. We see pictures of that in scripture. We see people who run into Jesus and run the other way. You probably know people in your life who have encountered Jesus and then run the other way. Paul could have done that, but Paul's not going to do that here. God calls to Saul. He knocks him to the ground. Uh, Saul is going to get up and say yes to God, yes to a new day. Verse 6, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And so Jesus tells him, get up and go into the city. And one interesting twist to this encounter, Saul is blind. So he's trusting the people around him to lead him into this city. He doesn't know where this new future is going to take him. And God just says, hey, come into the city and I'll tell you where to go from there. He moves forward trusting Jesus will show him what's next as he starts on this new path, on this new day. And so as he moves forward, there's another thing that helps Saul into this new and glorious morning. We see it in uh, verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man. This is a really sanitized version, I think, of this account. Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and the harm he has done to your people in Jerusalem. And what Ananias is saying is, said, is, you want me to go look for him? I think he came to look for me. Like, I think he's coming after me and the other followers of the way. That's what he says. So he says, and he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. So, so God is going to take this moment. And he's going to use somebody like Ananias. Ananias isn't thrilled with God's plan. He's sure that Saul has come to arrest him. He, he had a reputation. Can you see how feared Saul really was? And so Ananias is reluctant. And his initial response to God is like, well, it's like so many times my response to God is, and maybe your response to God is, when it's a challenge to do something out of the ordinary. God, I don't, I don't really want to do this. It just seems like it's going to be too hard. God, are you sure you got the right guy? Are you sure you got the right lady? I'm not really sure that I'm the right person for the job. So I don't know about you, but I can totally relate to Ananias' hesitation. But God assures him that the best response to the Lord is always a Yes. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. I never noticed this before, but Saul just became a believer and he was baptized. He didn't wait to get his life together. I mean, he was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians, and he encountered Jesus, and then he decided right away to be baptized. That's interesting. I don't know. Maybe that doesn't say anything for your life, uh, but it says something for Paul's. So immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So Ananias obeys. He does what God told him. He goes to Saul. He uses his, his power, God's power to restore Saul's sight, and he plays a, plays a part in helping Saul find his way back to God. Now, one of the things 
I love about this story is how Ananias plays this. It seems like a small part, really, in this story. But it's a crucial part of what God is doing in the world. Ananias reminds me of the importance of each individual member of a church, of a, of a band, of an orchestra. My girls uh, play violin. Now, both of them are learning to play violin. Grace has had a couple years. Audrey's just had a few months. And when you hear them practice at home, well, I mean, they're really good. They're excellent at violin. They really are. But every once in a while, they'll miss a note, right? And it's a little painful to hear. But when you go, and, and, and they're good. And there are other sixth graders and eighth graders that are doing the same thing. And I'm sure that their parents are equally uh, excited to hear their kids play and nervous at the same time. And, uh, but when you go to the concert and they play and you can actually hear the song come through. Well, why is that? Well, it's because every once in a while, one of these kids is going to miss a note. But everybody else playing together is enough to overcome somebody else's weaknesses, Right? And so we all have strengths and weaknesses. Ananias had strengths and weaknesses. But when we play together, the power of the group is more powerful than the weakness of any one individual, right? So together, as a church, we make beautiful music. So Ananias plays this little role, and we're never going to hear from him again in the whole Bible, the whole rest of the time, we're never going to hear from him again. But without Ananias, Saul doesn't become Paul, the most influential leader in the early church. It's one of the most remarkable transformations in the history of time. Now remember, if a new and glorious morn was possible for Paul, it's possible for you, and it's possible for me. There's a guy that I'm friends with on Facebook and have been for many years now, and I'm friends with him on Facebook because we used to be neighbors and we used to be neighbors, and when we were neighbors, um, my wife and I weren't believers, and he invited my wife to a Bible study. His name's Rick, and Rick invited my wife to a Bible study and basically said, um, hey, do you want to do, we're going to do the book of John. You want to come to a Bible study? And my wife said, yeah, who else is going to be there? And he said, well, right now, it's, it's you. And so she said, okay, and, uh, and Rick and his, his wife, Diane, led her to Christ, and then she started praying for me, and over time, I was led to Christ, and now I'm up here preaching the good news of Jesus to you guys, even on a very small day, <laughs> but we're up here preaching the good news of Jesus, and if not for Rick, asking my wife to be a part of that Bible study. Now, we don't really have contact with Rick anymore. They've moved uh, to Fishers. They're so far away. We don't ever go see them. <laughs> we move, we're in Noblesville, and... It would just be a real hassle, but we can, be, we can stay in touch on Facebook. But we don't see them very often, but they had a small part in our life, but a huge part in our story. I think that's what Ananias does here. He had a small part in the life of Paul, but a huge part in his story and a huge part in the story of God. And so I want to ask you, before we wrap up today, are you in need of a new day? Could you use a new beginning? Are you living in that light of a new and glorious morn we have in Christ? If not, why not choose now to do that? What is it that you need to say yes to now? I mean, some of us need to say yes to finding our way back to God. Like you've been choosing your own path, your, your own way for too long. And it's time to come under the leadership of our loving Father in heaven. He loves you. He knows the best plan for your life. He wants you to be a part of that. It's time to start living for the Lord. That means it's time for you to trust Christ and make a public commitment to him through baptism. Uh, some of you need to say yes to a renewed relationship with the Lord. We had some people do that on Thursday night. 
Like you're a Christian, but you're not investing in your relationship with Jesus. You need to start reading the word. You need to start praying more often. Some of you need to say yes to a new chapter in your relationships. That might mean counseling for you and your spouse. That might mean getting tough and setting some boundaries with someone who's abusing you. Some of you need to say yes to healthier ways of living. Some of you need to say yes to getting some help. Some of you need to say yes to rearranging your priorities, to choose the things that matter most. Some of you need to say yes to church again. You've been so distracted by other things, you need to get back to making your relationship with others in your church a priority again. Realize that Saul needed Ananias. Saul was going to need others along the way to help him in his transformation. Every letter Paul writes, he says hi to people in the church. He thanks people. He's writing with people to people that have helped him in his walk. We need one another. We can be an Ananias to one another. Some of you need to say yes to something greater that God wants to do in your life. If you don't know where to start, let me tell you about our Wired workshop coming up at the end of January, uh, January 29th and 30th. I think it's a Friday, Saturday. It's a two-day experience for the Genesis family that will give you an opportunity to discover your unique gifts, strengths, and the stories that come together to shape your individual calling in this world. And no matter your occupation, no matter your history, you've been created with a purpose, and we're going to discover it together in this two-day workshop. Uh, it'll help you understand uh, who you are, how the Lord has wired you, how he's uniquely equipped you for ministry in the kingdom. And, and it's our first time that we've offered this here at Genesis Church, and we're so excited for it, and we want you to be a part of it. You can uh, register for that on your connection card. Just turn that into the info hub, or you can use the Genesis app if you have that on your phone, or genesischurch.me. Finally, I wanted to challenge you to be thinking about one more thing. Somebody needs you to be their Ananias. There are people in your life who don't know the love of Jesus, who have never made it a priority to make a relationship with him a part of their life. And if you have, you have something that they don't. And they need that from you. To come alongside somebody, to disciple somebody in 2016. We need to be an Ananias for someone else. Are you willing to walk alongside someone to help them discover their unique calling that God has for them. Will you do that for somebody else? Is there somebody else that God is calling you to invest in? You know, Christmas means we have a new and glorious morn. Now is the best time to forget what is behind and press on toward the goal. Would you pray with me? God, I'm so thankful that you give us a new start. You tell us in your word that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. And Lord, for so many of us, the problem is we don't leave the old behind. That, that we don't forget what is behind and strain forward toward the goal. That we try to carry all of our stuff that we used to have with us into the future. And God, we know that your desire is for us to forget what is behind. Forget the things we can't change. To leave behind our old ways and to experience this new and glorious morn that you have for us, this new creation. We thank you for that, God. We need that so desperately in our lives. Our inclination is to grab everything that we have and bring it with us into this new day. And Lord, you say, no, forget what is behind. Strain forward towards what is ahead. Keep your eyes on the goal. Look to me. Come to Jesus. God, we want to do that today. We thank you that through your son's life and death and resurrection that we have the opportunity to do that to have a relationship with you. Lord, it's only through Christ that we can be saved, and we thank you for that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
You know how I know that Jesus can create a new and glorious morn in your life? It's because he didn't stay dead. You know that he, he lived a perfect life. He died a death that I deserve, that you deserve. He took all of our sin, all of our past, all of what was behind, he took to the cross with him and was killed. He nailed it to the cross. But then on the third day, God used his Holy Spirit to raise him from the dead. And he can show that he can overcome any of our past, anything that we have in our life. And we celebrate that uh, today together through the taking of communion. You know, before Jesus was killed, uh, he had dinner together with his disciples one last time. And they had a chance to experience that. And Jesus said, hey, when you do this together, remember me. And so we're going to do that uh, together here in a minute. There are uh, four tables set up, two in the front and two in the back. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go grab a set of cups. There are two stacked on top of one another. Bring it back to your seat. And in just a moment, we'll take communion together. So why don't you go do that now? As Jesus sat around, reclined around that table with his disciples, he could look across the table and see the one that he knew would betray him. And yet, Scripture tells us that he loved them to the end. And we know that because he ended up going to the cross for them and for us. But before he did that, he took the piece of bread and he broke it and he said, This is my body broken for you. When you do this, remember me. Let's take that together. And Jesus took the cup and he held it up and he said, this is my blood spilled for you. When you take this, remember me. Let's take that together. Jesus, we are so thankful that you took our punishment. We celebrate that today. Until you come back, we celebrate the fact that you did that for us. Lord, thanks for doing that. Thanks for taking all of our past and hanging it on the cross so we don't have to worry about it anymore. Thanks for the new and glorious morn you give us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.